Welcome to V'ger, please! A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Peter, I hope that your cold has at least alleviated somewhat from last week. No, it mutated into a uh, sinus infection, and my life has been a living hell. Oh, okay. So, that's that's sad. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I'm uh, waging chemical warfare with it right now. I finally got some antibiotics, so it's... Uh... It's some real World War One trench warfare shit. Yeah, you throw some mustard gas on that shit. You choke the life out of it. Make it really drown in its own lungs. You yeah. fucking make that shit happen. What's new with you, Joe? You know, I I have been spending the week enjoying some tasty, fresh, comic-based memes, Peter. I know exactly what you're talking about, and that shit is real. So in case you're not a part of the V'ger Please Trauma Support Group, uh, we have a fan. It uh, goes by Darius on Facebook. So we're going to credit him as that. Darius has taken to recreating some of the, you know, the Internet's greatest meme hits into comic form uh, applica- applicated to, to Voyager specifically. And it's been in choice. Uh, dank, lovely to behold. It's magic. And I will tell you that I have a very specific sense of humor. And whatever it is, this guy bullseyes it every time I go into that group. And I, I, I don't even have a chance to read the whole comic. And already I'm, I'm laughing hard. So this guy's flavor of comedy is right up my alley. Uh, it looks like it's been getting some pretty strong reception. Joe said most of the stuff's getting uh, debuted on the trauma support group, which is a private group. And I want to talk about that real quick. Why? Why is our primary fan interaction method a private group that you have to apply for membership? It's because we're adults, Joe. It's because I got people who work for me. I got family members and I do not need them to see Neelix laying naked in a fucking toss salad with his yellow ass. hang, Literally his yellow ass hanging out. Uh, I respect my privacy. We respect our <laughs> listeners' privacy. It's a closed group. I mean, there's no mystery to who we are, but there's not necessarily some things we want everyone we know to see. Um, so, uh, you know, just all you have to do is apply. I mean, it's not like we have any kind of strenuous membership test. It's like, are you are you some sort of Eastern European spam bot? No. Uh, is there some indication you're a real person? Yes. That That's all it takes. So feel free to to apply to join the trauma support group anytime. We'd love to have you. And you, too, can not only see some of the Internet's worst images that we find uh, in the aftermath of discussing the cast, uh, but you'll see Darius's spicy comic memes. I mean, I think he threw one on the main Star Trek subreddit and it was like front page material and got a thousand upvotes and shit like. Fuck yeah, man. Good for him. Good for you, man. Like, I'm glad you're a fan. That shit's amazing. And everybody uh, that wants to be in on that action, come apply. Come be a part of the fun. Doesn't even have to be a real Facebook. It'd be some made up shit because you, too, don't want people to know that you're like listening to a Voyager podcast made by two nerds in their mid 30s. You know, shit talking a 23 year old television show. We get it. We get it. We're one of you. But uh, what, what are we talking about this week, Peter? Talking about season two, episode twenty-one, Deadlock. 
This was uh, one of my like favorite episodes of Voyager in terms of just like wild sci-fi shit. Yes. Um, uh, it's got I, some problems structurally, but like I, I, I didn't care because it was interesting. I unfortunately was uh, not able to watch it last night, so I had to just watch it now. Uh, I'm still unpacking it. If you watch this episode like I think Voyager is supposed to watch, be watched by design, and that's, you know, like a bubblegum cereal. It's it's a pretty quick, fun, lively episode. If you watch it at a painful um, blow by blow dissection of every scene, uh, mercilessly nitpicked apart like we're watching it. This is a brutal fucking episode, man. There is there is some real shit that goes on in this one, and I'm really looking forward to discussing it with you. Yeah, it, brutal and real shit are, in fact, exact quotes in my notes. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. We both picked up on that. So why don't we get into it? Before we even start, brutal. Did you watch uh, Metalocalypse on Cartoon Network? It's brutal. Yeah, of course it did. Deadlock, Death Clock. <laughs> That is how black metal this episode is. It's it's uh, one of the few opportunities that Star Trek occasionally avails itself of the the chance to do something like this. Uh, yet somehow this version of it was so much worse. Like I'll get into that when we get into that, but this is not a uh, it's not for the faint of heart. We start off in the mess hall. That's and right. We got yeah. Neelix. And right off the bat, I pause it on Neelix because uh, that Darius guy, he just put this comic out. You may get two mentions in this episode. He put out that comic with uh, Neelix in uh, that Gordon Ramsay TV show. And Gordon Ramsay. Nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's tearing into him. And I criticize him like Neelix doesn't just have an all red shirt. All of his clothing, super ugly and multicolored. But. Neelix is straight up wearing that shirt that he drew in that comic. I was like, I'll be damned. This thing is like really true to canon in this comic. You get uh, Neelix and he's making some mess and he grabs uh, Ensign Wildman, who is super prego in what looks like a very comfortable Federation maternity shirt. Mm-hmm. And being a rude little space cat, he starts like making her get down under the counter and try and fix uh, the stove and this and that. He mentions that a thermal array has vaporized a pot roast, which seems super dangerous uh, for something to be able to happen in a in a Federation starship. It, well, can we unpack that for a second? There's because a lot. It just, yeah. So the just so happens that Jack uh, just suggested on the VG police support group that these aren't actual fires that these hobo fires are like simply like facsimile fires and it's like some sort of futuristic space fire. And that's why it's not actually a hazard because it's just kind of all for show and for aesthetics. Mm. And here we find out that's partially true that it's a thermal array. It's some sort of special space fire creator, but that this space fire can accidentally vaporize shit that's on it. You know what else vaporizes things, Joe? 
Veron T disruptors, which are forbidden in Federation space. And yet the space cat has something the equivalent of it. I, I think the thermal array from what I'm seeing is like a space crock pot. <laughs> yes. But the the hobo the the city canister fire cooking apparatus he has you get a real good close-up view here and i know i'm beating a dead horse on this thing but they're just sitting on the counter and again especially in this episode voyager is getting like shaken left and right those things you know have to fall off the counter every time voyager gets bumped and you all we also find out that fire suppression systems can fail they this always can be fail. a contagion that that destroys the entire ship i think headcanon confirmed i don't think we've even seen a single on-air example of the fire suppression systems actually working on Voyager. Fair enough. So poor Ensign Wildman keeps getting enlisted to fix shit in uh, the, uh, the mess hall by snarf snarf uh, until inevitably she starts to say that she is having contractions and that birth is imminent. So I don't know how a human Katarian pregnancies work, but uh, I'm sure you are aware of the whole water breaking mm-hmm. thing there, Dad. You, uh, one of the things you're not supposed to do when you're pregnant is fucking squat thrusts, which is basically what Neelix has her doing. Like, hey, get up. Come over here. Get down. Look under this counter. Okay, now get up. Come over here. Get down under this replicator. And it's like after three or four of these things, she's like, oh, baby's coming. And uh, Neelix gets real happy and whisks her off to sickbay. We immediately find out that Apparently, the 24th century has no epidurals because poor Ensign Wildman is basically being told she's got to have this baby the old fashioned way. Old fashioned. I'm putting quotes up right here because my wife was doing what I think she was playing on her computer somewhere over my shoulder while I was watching this episode. She got real cranky with what goes down here. (laughs) I fucking bet. Holy shit. I mean, you know, Casey's actually given birth, so she's got a personal investment in this. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, w- what I'm kind of focused on is during this um, this birthing process, it's the doctor and it's Kess and it's, you know, Ensign Wildman laying there. And that's it, man. No, no friends on the ship come, you know, stand with her in, in the room while she's going through what is <clears throat> what at least four, uh, four hours of labor, I believe. Seven right? hours. Seven. Oh, they made it up to seven. Um, that's. That's a lot of what we're going to come to later find out was needless torture. Uh, But I thought this was a pretty cool beginning to the episode, because while that's going on, you get a pretty nice chill shot of the bridge. And normally when we're seeing the bridge, something's popping off. They got something new on the sensors. There's combat. There's critical decisions. And this was just some nice like what happens on a Federation starship when you're just cruising. And it looks like a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I they they have a little easy talk time about you know labor. Tuvok shares her, his wife was in labor for uh, ninety six hours during the birth of his third child. You know they're they're talking about you know, should we apologize to this kid for being born on a space Ferrari and the Delta Quadrant? You know what are we gonna do? One of the lines mentioned is, uh, well, you know, it's in a way all of our child, you know, because it's the first baby born on Voyager. And my wife's like, uh, it's her baby. I don't know what this <laughs> what all these other people are talking about claiming ownership. I'm like, hmm, some very interesting uh, waters we're pushing into here. Uh, but the uh, sensors do go off 
and they start picking up real heavy subspace communication traffic. And wouldn't you know it, there is a Vidian colony, uh, two planets actually, uh, right smack dab ahead. And they're like, oh shit, oh stop, or, you know, full stop. We need to find a way to get around this, which, God, wouldn't this be just like the perfect time like we talked about on the live cast? Had they bootlegged, uh, built a cloaking device and wouldn't have to worry about just rando pockets of extreme dangers as they're minding their own business. Yeah, it would be nice. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't have to necessarily uh, concern themselves with getting their lungs stolen. Um, there's 20 Vidian chips that they read. <laughs> Janeway's even like, fuck a whole bunch of that. I got no desire to give these fucks my organs today. That's too much trap, even for me. And I'm a trap queen. Exactly. Take, let's find the way around. Tom, find me a way around this shit. Find this my way around. Might be the first time I think we've ever seen a Voyager episode actively try to avoid the main plot device. True. I do. I did appreciate the snap. Fuck that. Let's find a way around. Like, uh, problem solved me, Thomas. And they find a plasma uh, drift to sort of like Tokyo drift their way through the sector without being noticed. That's a classic and like hide the nebula type tactic, isn't it? Kind of, you know, it's basically just surf your way through a little bit of distortions that you can kind of avoid the danger zone. The geography of the Delta Quadrant still kind of confuses me, like where the Kazon begin and end and where the Vidians cluster around and and these guys and that guy's like the fact that it seems so difficult for Voyager to be able to plot any sort of a mostly safe course the fuck away from everybody and just mind their own business. And granted, again, the Vidians take steps to, like, hide where their shit is so, you know, people can't find them and exterminate them and space fire like their space rot deserves. But, um, I, you know what, it, it's minor stuff. It all works out well. It's a great story, and, and, and I can accept it and move on. I think the overall answer to your question is that the Delta Quadrant doesn't have the same sort of hard barriers on certain areas of territory, at least in this part of the Delta Quadrant, because the Kazon are nomadic, uh, non-technologically adept, you know, space scavenger Kmart, Kmart Klingons. And the Vidians are literal organ thieves that have hidden enclaves where they attempt to avoid contact with other species that they're not, you know taking the wild parts. west you know exactly it's very wild westy and okay. so it's not like they have like a set barriers of different massive stellar empires like they're used to it's this is kind of pieces of the galaxy that each one has carved out in in isolation so i get that that's the feel they're going for they start to 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 tokyo drift their way around vidian space when the doctor has had enough of dealing with Ensign Wildman's hours of labor because the spines on uh, her baby's head uh, dig into her uterine wall. Spoiler alert. She is basically having uh, baby Darth Maul. I, yeah. What, what yeah. species were Darth Maul? Was it, he was a... A Zarbak? Zarbak, yeah. So, a Darth Maul. And the baby has, like, this rhinoceros line of spikes and moved around a little bit in the uh, in the womb. And now it is going to gut her mother like a fish from the inside. 
And that's a problem. And only now do we find out that the doctor who has the ability to bring people back from the dead also had the power this entire time to, with the flick of the wrist, simply transport the baby out of the mother and invalidate the past seven hours of her trying to push her insides out. So when they beam this baby out healthy and happy, my wife like flips out like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) You could have done this the whole time? (laughs) What the fuck? Why would you let her sit here for seven hours going through that if you could have just transported that thing out of there? And I'm thinking, I'm like, well, because probably the doctor doesn't want to like instantly transport and uh, you know, destroy this baby's soul before it's even born. <laughs> the doctor's aware. This teleport is a soul-destroying device. Man, yeah, baby never even had a chance. God. So My God in heaven. There's that soulless little automaton laying there real cute. They got a beautiful little baby that they've cruelly spirit-gummed <laughs> fucking demon horns down the ridge of its face. And... They start to have some power problems on Voyager around this time, and Janeway radios down to Balana and be like, what What the actual fuck is happening? And she says, are antimatters being drained? And I cannot explain why. But they settle on the idea that if they start doing proton bursts, uh, they can essentially regulate slash limit the power drain. And they decide to act on that, but before they can implement it, the ship starts just absolutely getting rocked. And Tuvok quickly says, well, wait a second, we're getting hit by proton bursts. This is one of the quickest spiral out of control situations that I've seen. And this is also easily the most I've seen any Star Trek hero vessel get rocked by explosions of some sort i mean it is just non-stop and again unfortunately we're reading the capsule previews on netflix before we go into these things so i kind of know what's going on and it sucks because it really defangs these episodes when you know where things are going um and ultimately you know we find out that uh that the main plot point is what it is it, it takes a lot of the consequence away from what's going on here. But this is serious shit, man. They've got whole fractures all over the place. Emergency force fields are going down. They're leaking gas. Shields aren't working. Um, consoles are blowing up left and right. This had to be a very intensive uh, special effects budget, both for CGI and for uh, practical effects, like, you know, little sparklers. Mm-hmm. The ever dangerous Federation exploding panels are out in force. And dudes oh, yeah. are just getting launched everywhere. And what was a very sleepy, happy, warm and cozy sick bay with uh, Mama and her new baby, like f- flip of a light switch turns into um, zombie parade triage party. Yeah, the uh, the console IEDs are taking victims left and right. Everyone's got fucked up faces and plasma burns. The doc starts trying to triage everybody. The baby's actually having problems because now he's too busy to try and stabilize it because apparently uh, transporting a baby does mean you have to like do extra shit to prevent it from dying that he's no not at this point not able to do. Uh, you got hull breaches that are forming and it's pretty constant. It's like 10 minutes 
of bad shit happening. You got Hogan taking a fucking console to the face, trying to help solve this hull breach problem. And then you get Harry and uh, Bellana going down and, and what essentially what Harry's trying to do is set up this whole uh, uh, shielding uh, mechanism he's to got, seal off the hull breach. He's got this uh, homework that he's been doing to improve the shield generators that they have on the ship to basically function as band-aids in just this kind of situation to put into perspective how bad the situation has gotten on the ship and how quickly i mean it's all the normal stuff lights are flickering this and that they've got bulkheads and like support struts yet again every time the ship encounters anything there's like this one main support strut on the bridge it just falls and like almost kills everybody they need to get rid of this fucking thing (laughs) replace it with plastic foam or something but that thing's got to go it's just waiting to 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 cut someone in half like a ghost ship there are so many people in sick bay that the holographic doctor has actually rolled his holographic sleeves up yeah yeah i say that as a joke but like normally our measuring stick for um you know how bad of a time is it is how disheveled is someone's hair i think this is like the new bar to be set is when the doctor has to start adjusting his uniform that isn't really there and creates no friction on his body that doesn't feel displeasure or annoyance they they go out of their way to use every piece of the aesthetic if it's just as small as the holographic doctor rolling up his his non-existent sleeves to just how they light the scene to like fire scorch marks all over the fucking bulkheads and shit. And it just kind of looks apocalyptic. Like they do a lot to demonstrate shit is super fucked up. It's super bad. And then they really bring it home for you for the following one, two punch. First you get that ominous flatlining noise as Ensign Wildman's baby dies. And then a giant space fissure opens up on the hall. There's a horrible hall breach right where Harry Kim is. And he sucks that motherfucker right into space. And Harry Kim floats away an Asian icicle into the Delta Quadrant, dead as disco. And unfortunately, the dun-dun-dun there is um, is kind of deserved. They cut up to the bridge which is in a real bad state. Uh, Janeway's trying to reroute things. There's another round of massive explosions. Fires break out everywhere. And uh, Chakotay orders everybody to abandon the bridge. Uh, Janeway sticks around a little too long. And on the way out, she catches a spectral, I don't know, an astral projection of uh, other people on the bridge who are just sitting there, no problem, before she gets off into the Jeff or the the turbo the, lift god <laughs> you missed a couple of important things i think go ahead uh, number one before they leave tuvok gives probably the most grim damage report of all time like he like runs off everything that's all fucked up all these people are hurt all these systems are damaged here are all the hall breach by the way the baby died it's probably the most grim damage report i've heard on star trek and it's just like it's boom, 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 boom. And you just see the just the the oh, fuck pile up on Janeway's face. I thought that was really cool. And two, 
Let us not forget that while this is happening and after Harry has died, Kess shows up because Hogan had called for medical aid. Kess is like, I got nothing I can do now. The baby's dead and doctor's dealing with everyone here. So let me run down there and help Hogan out. And she vanishes into some space shimmer. And Balana does put together that there is something beyond the space shimmer that has a normal atmosphere. But what it is, she doesn't know. She like throws a piece of, of debris in there to test it yeah. and scan it with a tricorder. So that happens and they establish that occurs. And then we see the there's a ghost sort of moment in transition between Janeway finally leaving the bridge and then Janeway being on the bridge and it's normal and she's seeing herself leaving the bridge and she is freaked out. Right. Uh, and here's where you get the big reveal is that there are two Voyagers that were split off of the same Voyager and one uh, is not having a good day and the other one is in perfect condition. And here's again where the Netflix titles and previews really fuck up the viewing experience for a first time watch because all of that tension about Harry Kim getting blown out into space and the baby dying and the 695 micro fractions on the hull and all this other like, like you said, the worst damage report we have ever heard on a hero ship before suddenly doesn't matter because you're like, well, clearly they're just going to rejoin the ships back together or sci-fi hand wave or do something that is going to erase all of the consequences in this episode. And none of this really matters because this bad ship that is beat the fuck up is going to go away and we're going to have the good ship and it's going to be another, you know, everything ends back in homeostasis. Um, and, and we'll get into whether or not that really happens here, but it just defangs all the, the serious impact that they've put on the table. It's hard to put it in context of the time it came out. I remember watching this episode when it came out and I didn't think I felt necessarily tension because it just you just kind of know that Star Trek tends to be the kind of show that resets itself from these adventures. I will say that when the uh, containment field team of Balana, Kim and Hogan are dispatched, I wrote my notes. I was like, Hogan better watch his fucking ass because right now you have <laughs> two main cast members and Mr. We've introduced you just enough that maybe you care about me now. And there are ship fissures opening up on the outer hall. Like my money was on Hogan getting sucked out into space. And that, if he would have gone, I'd have been like that motherfucker's dead for good. Uh, you know, real consequences there. So Kim going in his place and Hogan basically being a red shirt decoy. There was a was a nice fake out. I guess I want to ask you a question. Yeah. You, you kind of knew that that at, uh, what the overall plot was going to be from the the, uh, the synopsis, as you've said a couple times. And you had to know, of course, that Harry Kim doesn't stay dead. Sure. Right. That's clear to you. Did you think that the Voyager that's in perfect working health would eventually be the one that emerged from the episode uh, to continue on in its adventure? Was that what you assumed would occur? Uh Absolutely, yes, because they have made the damaged Voyager, in my mind, almost, you know, messed up beyond repair. So later in the episode, when they start working with each other and they're like, hey, we can do this thing with the deflector dish and we can just refuse ourselves into one whole piece. I was like, 
all right, so that's how they're going to resolve this and tie up all the loose ends is they're just going to merge all these guys together. And, you know, you can get as rough and wild on the the damage voyage as you want because there's no consequences there. So the end of this episode was a total fake out for me. I, I figured that part would be the only part that managed to conceal itself from you. And I felt yeah. that that was pretty effective just to I don't want to dwell too much on on exactly how they get there because it's a little more action than dialogue. What we find out is that on normal seeming Voyager, um, everything's fine. They started doing those proton pulses to keep their energy flow going. Uh, but they realize something is amiss, A, because Janeway's had this vision, and then uh, B, in what should be far more urgently, mm-hmm. uh, they pan over in sickbay as Ensign Wildman uh, holds her new baby who's perfectly fine. Uh, there's the other Kess who has come over from the fucked up Voyager. They wake her up, they talk to her, and they don't spend like a lot of time focusing on conversations that establish that this is all true. Uh, rather amusingly to me, and one of the, the show's lower points is that all of that dialogue happens off camera and then they reference it on camera. They do that twice. They do that with Kess. It's like, well, clearly we've had similar circumstances due to all these things Kess has explained to us now that we've woken her up that proves that she's not some crazy alien. Yeah. Or like some sort of fucking trap. And then later on when Janeway talks to herself, she does the same thing. (laughs) Pause right there. This whole scenario, too, I want to point out with, you know, people running around, disappearing down corridors and hallucinations and duplicates and all this other stuff this is like exactly the mo of that crazy telepathic uh alien who kess went super sane and like fought him in in engineering yeah that they never fucking found that just did it for fun yeah Yeah, like tuvok does show a lot of uh very well-placed misgivings about the situation and that you know this all could be a big trap which I appreciate it. And again, I, I think that this was a good episode overall, so I'm not going to bog us down in it. But like, there's a lot of stuff that goes on here, especially with like clones and shit that Voyager's just real chill about. Like, I, I wouldn't even be on the bridge there to witness uh, ghosts running around because the second I had a second Kess just pop out of nowhere, um, I'd be up the doctor's ass being like, get her awake and we need to figure out what the hell is going on here. Yeah, that's the point that really was weird to me that there, Janeway didn't seem all that concerned that she had an exact doppelganger of Kess magically show up. I like do that, wanna, that wasn't fucking priority one to figure out why the fuck that happened. I do want to give Janeway, again, good props that when she sees the ghosts running around on the bridge, she instantly, like in front of her whole crew, is like, I see dead people walking around and they look like they're on fire. Hey, Harry, scan the ship and then go get a tricorder and start going over this. Like, so many times we see like people see stuff and instead of just saying out in the open, like, Hey, I don't belong in this timeline or whatever. They internalize it and like hide it. Janeway really seems quick to potentially make herself look like a lunatic, but you know, the, the last uh, line of the episode explains why she should react like that. Right. Why everybody should react like that. And so often they don't. So that's why I'm giving her uh, a big fat Starfleet gold star. Oh, yay. Good for Kathy. We get a lot of techno babble as Good Voyager figures this out, but essentially, um, we get it like a reference to Kent State of all schools. And let me yeah. let me ask you a question. 
Bran Branagh who wrote this episode, Joe. If you had to guess, <laughs> where did Bran Branagh go to school? Kenyon? No, Kent State Denison? University. Ohio he, State? No, he went he went to Kent State. OU? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to start naming every school in Ohio just to piss you off. But yeah, obviously, someone went to Kent State. It doesn't surprise me that it's him. You know, Kent State's reputation was for Northeast Ohio was like high school version two. Everybody from my high school just went to Kent State to do more high school stuff. There were no fucking advanced antimatter matter duplication heavy physics experiments going on there yeah you know what the southern ohio version of that is ohio university in athens yeah but that's a much in party school kent's just kind of sorry to anybody who goes to kent (laughs) i don't mean to take you know the one star trek feather out of your cap but hey your school's super famous for this star trek thing and then you know getting people shot so good job guys and i think your football team is okay in the mac or something i don't know don't don't quote me on that. But apparently in Kent State in the 24th century, shit is baller there. Oh, yeah. And they do uh, like these crazy experiments on parallel dimension and fissures and matter separating. But uh, Philadelphia from one source of matter. Yeah. So they're doing wild shit there. And Janeway pieces together along with the rest of the crew that when they did this whole uh, proton burst thing. Uh, it was coincidentally timed with when matter was out of phase and it created essentially two separate parallel out of phase voyagers. And the proton burst that not fucked up Voyager is using is the one that's rocking the shit at a fucked up Voyager. So Janeway immediately calls a stop to that says to stop fucking it up and resolves to find a way to communicate with the other version of themselves so they can try and problem solve. I want to talk about the bridge situation. This is, uh, I was watching some YouTube videos as I do when it's late at night and I should be sleeping. I think it was lore reload and they were going over the intrepid class, which covers a lot of our complaints that we've talked to. And they keep showing this. It's because you keep getting blasted with Star Trek related YouTube stuff. That's all my algorithm knows you. And it's all it's all at this point. The algorithm uh, knows you. Yeah. I'm looking at this cross section. Did you know, like the Voyager can saucer separate? Yes, I did know that. And if it can saucer separate, then it means it would have a battle bridge. So basically, what I'm getting into is like the main bridge gets shut down and they don't really have a battle bridge. They have a budget bridge, which is just engineering. The Federation's decisions to always put the bridge on the very top of the very highest point of the ship, like always drives me nuts. Like someone could just ram you or like bump you and there goes your entire command deck. Like hide that shit deeper in the ship so it's more protected. And if you're going to have the super exposed Achilles tendon, you know, on the top of your ship, like you got to have, I don't know, a, a closet or a bedroom or something you can set up as a bridge instead of trying to like cram everybody into engineering, which is, you know, where space hellmouth plasma infernos open up. I think this was a matter of set budget. That's what I'm saying. It's a budget it. bridge. Like, yeah, they they probably should have one in the in-universe logic of the show. They probably decided, A, they didn't want to necessarily do the whole saucer separation battle bridge thing because that was such a, a key TNG element. Yeah. B, 
they don't want to uh, build a second sort of like the bridge, but not quite the bridge set. So instead, they're using. They they basically just jury rig engineering to serve as Commando. the bridge as well, which you know, makes sense from I'm a at, from a operational standpoint that that enter, that the uh, engineering should be able to do that. I'm looking at a cross section here. It looks like the division line where the quote unquote saucer comes out of uh, Voyager actually starts underneath deck one, so the bridge stays with the star drive, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, so they find out that they can start doing wideband Morse code, more or less. And uh, the other, the bad Voyager, injured Voyager, is also kind of becoming aware that something is afoot. And they tag each other back a few times and finally are able to get on the same frequency. And we get our first face-to-face with uh, the two Janeways and the two Balanas, And they start hashing out what the hell's going on here. The main issue that they have is that antimatter cannot be duplicated, and therefore they're both tugging at the same power source, and as a consequence can't separate without destroying themselves. And so they have to, they reckon, reintegrate themselves. And they quickly come up with a plan to do so after the Janeways basically exchange horrific you know, personal details or whatever to confirm they're both who they say they are. They come up with channeling energy through the main deflector, which is, you know, the whole Voltaire song of how they solve everything. Right. And sure enough, we're back there. They're going to do some shit with the deflector array to reharmonize both ships so that they can reintegrate and then everything should be hunky dory. So this is where the episode, I think, comes to a crossroads. And for me, as a first time viewer, you know, they try to do this reintegration thing and it fails, but it seemed like it almost worked. And it's it's hard because good Voyager's got plenty of energy to do this. But injured Voyager, this is like a, hey, this is our only chance. We can't fuck this up. Um, and it doesn't work. And you're like, OK, well, to me, I'm like, all right, they're going to have to find a way to make it work. And that's where the real stress in this episode is going to come from is how do they get a second chance where they pull this thing off correctly? The. The crossroad here, though, is like, let's assume that Star Trek Voyager was not a TV show that was limited by a budget. You had unlimited money to spend on special effects, duplicate, you know, uh, mirror crew screen tricks and all that other stuff. Like if this was a book and you could just do whatever you wanted because it's all just words on a paper, you know, you could have gone a direction with this like Battlestar Galactica when they find the Pegasus. And now all of a sudden their odds of surviving anything just doubled in their favor because there's two intrepid class voyagers and there's double crew everywhere. And, and, you know, what story can you tell between these, these two? Yeah, I think that'd be, that's a little too much for, you know, the, the copy of everyone. That'd be so fucking confusing. It was confusing in the episode. Yeah. But I'm just saying it, it was an interesting place from a sci-fi standpoint, because you knew they were going to go the most budget conscious homeostasis returning way possible but it was a fun what if moment just to think you know where where could they have taken the series if they did not have these grounding constraints if you want to go real hard sci-fi angle i i felt like they were pretty hardcore in the sci-fi angle as is i mean they take a lot of time with the dialogue to explain the conundrum and you know i'm nerdy enough to love that shit like i'm sitting there like oh yeah it's just they're, they're they're spending all this 
valuable exposition trying to paint a picture for you of this space conundrum that isn't what's the word I'm looking what's the words I'm looking for here grounded in a sense of reality I guess this is very high concept stuff going on and just to check in on status good Voyager has gotten even better and bad Voyager is getting worse things are not looking very nice over there at all which again is driving home the point to me like they are going to ultimately be successful in rejoining these crews and and you know the plight of poor Voyager is you know not a big deal because it's all going to get hand waved away so they try this deflector thing it botches and uh good Janeway's like all right it's too hard to communicate over these you know this rickety radio signal I want to go over we got to send Kess back over anyways um we know that there's an active portal down on deck 15 or whatever which uh we're going to exploit and Harry Kim whips together some armbands that are going to let them phase variant over to the other uh voyager and not get portal sickness yeah like because Cass got essentially knocked out by the experience so these will let them just kind of walk through and sure enough janeway goes over with Cass, and janeway has a conversation with herself and peter oh yes tell tell me you observe this i i did so this is hall of fame right here man (laughs) (laughs) Peter, I'm reaching out to you as my co-host and my friend. I need your help. Uh Uh-huh. And I need your help because I need to assure myself that I'm I'm not the only one who thought this. And Stevie wasn't the only one who thought this. I need independent verification. Was it just us? Or did you get this constant vibe in this scene where Janeway is talking to herself? That she was three seconds away from like the steamiest makeout possible with herself. Well, that's just traditional Janeway close talking. You'll remember that Janeway has no personal space um, and also pushes her boobs all over whatever is around her as a conversation point. So what you're seeing here is a a double Janeway effect where there are no fucks given about personal space at all. And it is her her prime directive to be as close as possible without occupying the exact same space as the other thing. That close talking was its own whole thing. What was astounding to me is that when she crossed over onto the other ship, did you pay attention to what she looked like? I mean, I saw that she had phaser on and she's like, fucking phaser dude. How, how are you going to walk onto the other ship unannounced where it should be uh, a question on everybody's head, like, hey, maybe this is like alien fuckery weird stuff, and you're going to roll in there hot? That is more crazy to me than when they beam down to the fucking shithead planet with phaser rifles to talk <laughs> to the president. Like, <laughs> you're in Star Trek. The backbone of Star Trek is evil mirror universe dudes coming over and fucking with your shit. And now you're going to go over to your clone ship, which might be, you know, People thinking, hey, what if this is Mirror Universe? We haven't had a Mirror Universe episode yet. <coughs> and you're going to go over there packing. I'm surprised she didn't get laid out the second she stepped foot on that ship. Also, it was crazy to me. They have a dimensional portal in the middle of this corridor. There's not even like police caution tape. There's not even like <laughs> a sticker saying, hey, watch out. Interdimensional portal is here. So some, some little infographic 
of like a like a stick figure in a Starfleet uniform, like walking through the the hallway, and then all of a sudden, like oopsing, like you know, like slippery when wet into a dimensional portal. Some fucking neon duct tape on the floor, just like you know, that's the line we don't cross, or you're gonna go over to the other ship, or you're gonna get knocked out for a couple hours and die because obviously this other ship's fucking hosed. So the first thing you noticed was the lack of caution tape and the fact that she comes over to the other ship of the phaser. And I couldn't escape the constant vibe that Janeway just desperately wanted to make out with herself. Like that she had this this long simmering, like erotic desire to 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 actually like lock lips with her own face. And that and that this moment was just so tempting because I, I don't know how it is that they decided to shoot this this way. But she just keeps looking at herself in this way that is is just like like she wants herself well, like being I, a good so scientist. weird, she's, so weird being a good scientist. She's had to debate, you know, is having sex with your clone uh, masturbation or its own encounter. And I think she's just out to conduct an experiment here and finally get to the base of it, because, you know, obviously doing it to yourself in a holodeck doesn't count because that's just a hologram. She needs she needs the real deal. She needs real science. And moving on, if we can, from that, Janeway from the fucked up ship says, oh, we'll figure some things out over here and we'll try it again. And then the Janeway from the other ship says, you're going to blow yourself up, aren't you? And she's like, yeah, I cop to it. I'm going to do that. And the good Janeway says, listen, give me 15 minutes to figure out if we can find a way out of this. I know I can't talk you into not blowing yourself up, but if I can find another solution in 15 minutes, will you not blow yourself up? She says, fine. So Janeway goes back Jane, to the up. other ship. Janeway, I feel like she's suicidal, man. Like how many times has she threatened to blow the ship up so far? This has to be what, the third? It's, it is, uh, this, yes, it is the third because she, activated self-destruct once and then was going to use the ship as a battering ram the other time. And and this is where we start getting to like some real high concept sci-fi stuff here, right? Where you can watch us as a casual action piece and move through all these points without any further consideration. But like the circumstances that created these people, they're still working off the same antimatter energy source. Like these aren't two separate, fully functional voyager versions as far as we know at this point like there could be a lot of implications we saw what happened when um the vidians took uh balana and split one of you know part of her into human and the other part into klingon like they couldn't exist without each other the klingon was i'm sorry the human was gonna you know die off and <clears throat> they had to be rejoined one janeway just being like yeah it's easier for us to just all kill ourselves. Like, good Janeway has to be thinking, like, you taking the easy way out of this dilemma could have serious unforeseen consequences for us. Also, you know, we joke about the soul and all that other stuff, but, you know, think about all the early human superstition that was out there and all the superstition that is still out there. You know, when you don't have a full fleshed out view of what's going on. It's not difficult to think that there is a monster out in the woods or there is a God who is controlling rain in the sky. And if you don't conduct a sacrifice, he becomes mad and brings a drought around, you know, like 
when you're in very difficult circumstances, the mind can wander into very crazy places and and fear is very powerful. These conversations we talk about, like the same ones have to be going on to some degree in Voyager. And if I was, you know, just rank and file crew on Voyager, I think like, man, you know, the soul debate, right? Do I have the soul here on good Voyager? Did did the bad Voyager? Is that the guy who has a soul? I would be very interested in like reconnecting these ships at all costs because you don't know. I I know that's, God, you know, there's a part of my brain that would love it if they tackle these metaphysical questions more frequently. But I understand why they don't. Sure. Because holy fucking shit, like they already have to go through a lot of techno babble to get the to, to get this one linked together to the degree that they do. And it's a pretty fast paced episode. I was surprised by how quickly it went by because of how much happens. And so when they take a pass on on going deeper on this stuff, I have to remember, like, this is Star Trek. Yeah. You know, like they do some things very well, but this is not TV as I know it in 2018. This is this is a different breed and they just weren't doing this stuff yet. And we can give TNG a lot of credit for going down some deep philosophical lines, but even they stayed away from these kinds of metaphysical questions for the most part. No, when it's this Lovecraftian twist, we're looking at Voyager under, I mean, we're, we're watching Voyager out of context for all intents and purposes. What I'm saying is that this episode I enjoy because it, it lets you and I have these conversations that, you know, they weren't expecting the regular viewers to have, but it's a neat, opportunity in a sometimes bland science fiction property to to have uh more mature discussions i think oh you're absolutely right and i think the number one takeaway and we haven't really explicitly said it but it's absolutely true we've joked about space being a cthulhu-esque nightmare i don't think it's a joke anymore no i think this is the show acknowledging that that space is a cthulhu-esque nightmare and they try and laugh their way through it but like when I talk about the blackest of metal and the most brutal shit going on here, uh, again, I'm aware of a year of hell kind of peripherally. I have a feeling we're not going to see something with as many deep implications um, as this until we get to that year of hell episode. Year of hell is, I think, less metal black brutal than than this is because it all happens so quickly. Hmm. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I guess you know, it's two's in it a little bit more. Yeah, because uh, it's a two-parter and you've got time and, and you kind of know because the year of hell, not going to say anything else about it except to say that it has a lot to do with time manipulation. Yeah. And that once you enter that into the equation, you know that's how they can fix it. Sure. So it takes some of the drama out. So um, this 15 minutes that good Janeway wants to give the crew of the other ship to find a way to get through this ends up being the 15 minutes that bites her in the ass because this Vidane colony knows Voyager's in there and they have sent a ship out. And this is, they don't say it explicitly, but you know, like we just touched on two episodes ago with uh, the Dr. Vidian romance thing. They know Voyager's out there. They know Bolana Torres is out there. They know the Klingon wonder gene is out there. You don't know what this lady ended up telling the Vidians, by the way. For all you know, uh, Dr. Pell might have come back to her co- or gotten dropped off by Voyager at that colony. And they could have been like, 
hey, you're going to get tortured to death and we are going to extract every bit of information, you know, on this ship, whether or not you're in love with the fucking hologram doctor on there. And uh, we're going to do some real medieval shit to you. And then we're going to go find this space pinata of spare parts and the salvation to our space rot plague. And we're going to go after it balls deep. And that's that's kind of what this looks like, because the ship they send out after Voyager is huge. It's about double the size and it is packed full of dudes. The Vidians quickly completely overwhelm Voyager, Um, but it's very specifically only attacking the Voyager that is not fucked up. The fucked up Voyager seems to have completely evaded the uh, Vidians notice. And what we see is that. They either get murdered on camera or you see their dead body getting picked over for parts on camera, which is worse. They spare no expense. You see the Vidians start rolling in. They immediately kill Tuvok and start taking his organs out. Next, Tom Paris, dead in the hallway. Even before that, like they, they shoot off a couple charges from a distance. Voyager's weapon systems are off, which somehow Janeway's not aware of. Like, Tuvok's like, oh, yeah, we had to get rid of those. <laughs> like, what? They knock the shields out in one hit, and then their ship, like, dry humps Voyager, puts boarding tubes on, cuts holes in the deck, and, like, goes traditional raiding party, flooding, like, 300-plus people physically in tubes onto the ship. And it's just chaos and open warfare in the hallways. Everyone's trying to you know, tag themselves of a DM, but there's, they're everywhere. You start seeing bodies just laying around. Everyone's fucking going down. Cass uh, uh, put, tries to put a, a, a force field up around sick bay to keep them out. And sick bay where the baby is, where the baby is and Ensign Wildman and some of the folks that have been uh, injured or were there for whatever reason. And, you know, the doctor takes the baby and is like, listen, we got the force field up, but I'm going to kind of hide this baby somewhere in the off chance somehow they break in. And then the Vidians immediately break in. This is a huge head fuck because everything up to this point in this episode has painted a picture where bad Voyager is going to either have to be rejoined with good Voyager or bad Voyager is just going to probably end up blowing up on its own. So good Voyager, which has been like your nest egg, right? That you don't care what the stock market looks like because you got money under the mattress. <clears throat> it's getting raided. And man, these these Vidians coming in. I hate these fucking guys. Like we've had a lot of talk about like, you know, the sympathy for them and this and that. And, you know, some oh, these... of the mis- missteps and how they made them comically evil guys like they come in just stone cold killers. There's no discussion about their background, which is good. They've already established what they are. And these guys are just fucking ruthless organ thieves. And all the joking around and shit we does just pales into comparison when you see these monsters walking through the halls and just gunning people down and, and pulling hearts and, and livers and spleens out. It is vile. And just discussing it like, oh, this one's got a uh, got some good pancreatic tissue. Come over here, Ralph. We'll just uh, we'll pick this one. Like of all of these dead crew members, um, it's the the clinical not giving a fuck of it. That is I know the Borg are supposed to be the most horrifying Star Trek villain. Yeah. But the Vidians in this scene take the cake. Starfleet's just getting its ass kicked. They don't win a single firefight in the hallways. Uh 
Tom Paris is like running and gunning with a couple other dudes. He gets tagged in the back and like, I'm getting mad at Starfleet for getting their asses handed them, but I'm feeling like really, it was general, genuine emotion. And, you know, it's a TV show, whatever, you know, there's the other ship still, you know, everything's going to be okay by the end of it. But seeing the pristine crew get handed and, and fucking killed off like this, uh, it was really powerful. And, uh, just a really perfect use of the Vidians as the monsters are supposed to be. I, I think the most brutal moment was you don't see them execute everybody in sick bay. What you see is them unceremoniously throwing Kess's body onto a bio bed after they have killed her, assessing her organs, and then going over to Ensign Wildman's dead body after they have killed him, killed her, and assessing her organs. And, and then mentioning, oh, yeah, she gave birth recently. You know what? There must be a child around here. And at this point, you're like, oh, fuck. They're totally going to kill that baby. That's 150% going to happen. Like, what the what the fuck? What the actual shit? When they're rolling through the call and doing this shit, like. I just watch them transport a baby out of the mother. And, you know, we touched on earlier with Seska beaming people into space, like how alien, evil and vile that has to be. You're Janeway and you got these guys piling in here. I'd be going apeshit on that transporter, putting as many of those people into the vacuum of space as I could. Like, this is the most grossest violation I've ever seen. I, I would have nothing would have been too bad to do to these Vidian guys. And after this point, I would just be permanent, like kill on site for any Vidian I ever saw. Janeway assesses we're fucked. There's nothing we can do. Gets back in touch with fucked up Voyager and says, the Vidians are here. They outnumber us three to one. We're going down. So turns out, (laughs) turns out one of us will be self-destructing after all. Who would have thought it would have been your beat the fuck up ass? She says, listen, I'm going to blow myself up because, you know, otherwise... That's otherwise we're all dead anyway. So fuck it. Uh, And but I'm going to send you Harry and the baby because those are the two members of your crew that died. So I'm going to go ahead and give you Harry and the baby. And I get that that's how they're solving the fact that Harry and 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 the baby died. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get it. But there's two things. One, how is it that nobody else on the bridge goes? Why can't I go? (laughs) Like, why only them? The whole time well, I'm watching Chicago. Why don't we all get the fuck out of here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody, nobody even mentions. Why don't, why don't more of us leave? Because they said in dialogue, if any more than 10 or 15 people crossed over, it would create an imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. So they know they can actually send more than just Harry and the baby. Rally up. Let's get the fuck out of here. Anybody who can go. Let's, let's just get the fuck. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. No. Nobody. Who's, Not a fucking word. Who's the smartest people we have on the ship? Okay. We're going to give you our best and brightest up to 14 of them to maintain the magic balance of whatever. And we are going to give you the biggest leg up we possibly can. I'm watching Chakotay during this whole thing. And like, he's kind of like stone cold. He knows what's up, but just this, this Starfleet mindset of like, well, you know, even if I blow up, the other me is still over there. So I'm not really dying. Like, fuck that, man. I want to live. Like 
Shatner screaming at the T. <laughs> I want to live. I want to live, you know? Um, and then she turns to Kim's like, go get that baby and get over there. And that's an order. How about this? You guys are all going to die anyways. And I'm on a very important mission now. How about you all come down with me to Med Bay and we fucking all go down fighting like G's instead of you guys just hanging out on the bridge while I go to fucking Metal Gear Solid and <laughs> Starfleet, <laughs> Tupac, all the security teams, bad boy Tom Paris and prison fights who just beat the shit out of two K's on earlier on this Stone Cold killer. They're all getting shot in the back and fucked up. But bumbling Harry Kim goes down there, solid snake and assassinates these two people like a fucking matrix agent yeah, he rolls he literally rolls into sick bay nails a dude does a forward roll lunge and ducks a phaser beam and then blasts the dude uh like an absolute g like just gets it done yeah and snatches up the baby and rolls out he of course makes it to the other ship in the nick of time as Janeway dramatically welcomes the Vidians to the bridge and the ship explodes and therefore destroys the Vidian ship as well, leaving fucked up Voyager fucked up, but intact with all of their organs and a brand new dimensionally shift Ensign Kim and baby Wildman. It's some real Rick and Morty stuff. It is. It fucking is, isn't it? And there's even a scene at the end where they're wrapping shit up and Kim's like, uh, this feels weird. I know you're my captain. And, you know, we're up to <laughs> two hours ago. We were all the same people, but this still feels off like you're not really my captain. This isn't really my ship. You know, Janeway, who's just took a fresh round of Federation <laughs> antidepressants. is just like. <laughs> Ah, Peshaw, young ensign. That's all just part of the job of being Starfleet in the deep space horrors. Yeah, she literally says weird is part of the job. And I'm like, bitch, are you for real? Suffering is what? part of the job. This, this is beyond weird. This is some fucking like, I'm going to need 10 years of therapy shit. What do you like? Balana watched me die. I that my body is floating in space out there. That's we my can question. fly by and see it. That's my question. Like, what do they do with Harry's body? What do they do with the dead baby? You're I was, absolutely. What, yeah, that Harry yeah. went down like a fucking hero trying to hold that ship together. I would hope to God that they'd be like, you know what? Get his body on the ship and let's it's weird or whatever. But like he died a fucking hero's death. Something has to be done. Don't leave him floating out there like a fucking space ice cube. Like the implications in this episode, again, are so brutal and so deep and they don't touch on it and they really shouldn't touch on it for network television. But God damn, some Rick and Morty shit burying your own bodies in the backyard. Yeah, man. Fuck. I mean, said it before. This is this is no longer winking at space being a, a horrific HP Lovecraft uh, abomination. This fucking just is. This straight up is terrifying and should be like a warning to all people of the 24th century. Just don't go into space. Stay on your planet with your super technology, your holodecks and your replicators and just don't go because that's where all the bad shit happens. All oh the my God. that I ever made as a young child about how stupid it was that the Enterprise D 
had a ship's counselor as like fourth in command sitting next to the captain. Like, who cares about the ship's psychiatrist? This, this is why. And when you don't have a ship psychologist and you're being cloned and having to fucking kill yourself when you thought you were the one that was going to live. And then, you know, you've got guys going over to live with the people who are supposed to die and your own body floating dead in space and all this other depressing ass shit. (laughs) This is why you need a counselor on the ship sitting next to the captain. Well, it certainly made for an interesting episode. Made for a great episode. I really liked that they were trying to go high concept with the the sci-fi element and do something different. And I give it a ton of credit for that. But I mean, the way it was paced, you just never got a chance to breathe with it a little bit. And so points off. But I I give any episode that tries to do something unique uh, uh, as much uh, leeway as possible. And it deserves it. It was pretty good. I thought the pacing was good. I thought that they put enough thought into the dilemmas that, you know, held up enough that you didn't have like showstopper head scratching situations other than, you know, why aren't you beaming these fucking Vidians into space? Because you just delivered a baby with a transporter. But um, I thought they kept the action moving quickly that the 11th hour, you know, switcheroo that, hey, bad Voyager is going to be the one that actually survives and good voyager is going to get blown up after it's just been essentially raped strong it was it was a good action it was good high concept and uh it was an outstanding opportunity for voyager to realize some some great sci-fi i absolutely adored that they went super black metal at the end and really showed some horrific shit happening to the cast and uh and didn't flinch away from it and made the Vidian scary and really evil. And I would I would say that if you had any lingering sense of sympathy for them, uh, that it, it had pretty well obliterated it. And especially right on the heel of uh, of that romance episode with him, like that was a real nice build them up through Dr. Pell and then just drag him down to their lowest point. And I'll also say, you know, the reaction of watching the crew get killed off like that you know, does a nice job proving that the Voyager cast has grown on me immensely. And even though it's, you know, you, you know, ultimately those deaths don't really matter because they're going to reach homeostasis by the end of the episode. Like, it's cool to see that it was able to have that impact on me. What do we got next, sir? Season two, episode 22, Innocence. And we've got uh, Tuvok <laughs> and what looks like four children walking through a forest. Tuvok crashes on a planet where he finds some children who know that they are all going to die. It sounds terrible. I don't remember it at all. What it's doing is reminding me of that episode I just watched on uh, ugh, the Orville, where the robot gets stuck on the surface with the doctor's kids. That one was good, though. That was great, but I don't know if this... children I don't in Star see Trek, this one being good. <laughs> children in Star Trek do not mix very well, so... That's kind of I was actually thinking about that in the car the other day, like, man, I'm really glad like TNG had children cast members all over the place and special guest stars, and they were all terrible. Voyager, by design, hasn't had any kids around to do this kind of thing. So let's see how bad it gets. All right. I look forward to it, my friend. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I got a rule of acquisition on this one, man. Oh, excellent. It's an unnumbered one. But uh, specifically in relation to the fucking Vidians setting foot on that ship and pulling the shit they did. When the messenger comes to appropriate your profits, 
kill the messenger. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, vo- the the Vidians definitely appropriated some things. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, until next time, then this has been Vija Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. Keep your lungs where they are, and if you see any guys with rotting faces, they will kill you. They didn't mention that Kess only had one lung. I, I thought that was interesting when they were doing the <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Peace. <laughs>